Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is not Tuesday, but we had a little bit of technical difficulties earlier this week. So today is, in fact, the Draft Deep Dives episode for the week. And today is going to be an interesting one for Tyler, certainly, but it is my top 30 big board. So we're going to go through Tyler. I'm sure we'll have a few well-deserved snide comments throughout, but hopefully we'll have a fun time going through all the prospects on my list. So Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm good. I have a working computer again, which is incredible. Uh, It's nice to be able to do things again, be part of the world. Yeah, Um, better than the alternative, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 much better. I'm much less productive when I don't have a computer. It turns out. So, sorry about that. Yeah, funny how that tends to work out. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, as I said, we are doing my top thirty big board today, which is my first sort of formal big board that I've done for a draft. I've been on and off doing draft coverage for a few years now, but this year is definitely the most in depth I've gotten. So. I figure I should at least put my results out there somewhere into the world so that, you know, I'll have things to look back on, hopefully fondly in a couple of years. And I'm sure a couple of these picks will look incredibly stupid. But the one pick that I'm quite confident will not look incredibly stupid is one on which Tyler and I certainly agree. I have Cade Cunningham as the top prospect in this draft class pretty easily. He's a 6-8 primary initiator. His jump shot, which was the big concern coming into the year, especially from three-point range, has looked much, much better. And his assist numbers certainly do not tell the story of his incredible passing prowess. I really didn't have to think that long about this one. I mean, I've said on informal conversations about my big board that Cade is clearly at the top of the list, and I saw nothing to change that all college season. It's one of the easiest rankings since probably Luca um for me and it's he he's just so clearly the top guy in this draft with his passing scoring shooting defense size it's it's just it's everything you want in a number one pick it's everything you want in a franchise cornerstone um and I that you know I I get that he may in a long run end up not being the best guy because weird things can happen uh but I I think people who put anyone other than Kate at number one at this point are just overthinking things or trying too hard to be contrarian so we do however disagree about the number two prospect you have Evan Mobley there and I have Jalen Suggs it's funny because in preparing for this I actually thought it was a lot closer than I had earlier in the process, where I thought it was pretty clearly Jalen Suggs. I'm a little closer to the borderline now, I would say, on the two of them, but I still have Suggs ahead of Mobley. He, besides Cade Cunningham, is the player I have the most confidence in as the primary engine of an offense, and he's got great athleticism, solid defense, and I have a lot of faith in Jalen Suggs to be an excellent, excellent player. I, I love Suggs, and I'm at I'm at the point where I'm kind of moving Suggs, Mobley, and Green around in that two through four range, kind of on a daily basis at this point. Um, they're all in kind of that same tier for me, so I, I I don't you know aggressively disagree with having Suggs at two. I I have a little more concerns about what his offense looks like if that shot isn't falling like it wasn't for the last two thirds of the season. Uh, his outside shot was pretty rough. Um, so if that's not falling, if he doesn't get better at that, I, I think he becomes much more limited as a player, but love his defense, love his passing athleticism, work great intangibles, all of that. It's really, really encouraging. And with Suggs, you know, it's kind of, the opposite from Cade in the sense that Cade was basically the entirety of the offense for his team, whereas Jalen Suggs had a number of other players on his team that will certainly be drafted in the 2021 draft, and he had a teammate that we're going to talk about in a little bit on my big board, whereas none of Cade Cunningham's teammates really touched the top 30 draft pick conversation. Yeah, and that he Suggs was in just like an idealer situation for a young point guard just surrounded by shooters surrounded by really experienced teammates who moved the ball and got everyone involved and a really smart coach so situation wise you know Cade was 
in arguably the worst situation he could be in, surrounded by zero shooters. And Suggs was in maybe the best situation in all of college basketball. Um, but so I, I take it you buy a little more into his shot developing, or is it just that you buy more into his playmaking and athleticism and defense having that much more of an impact? So it's more the playmaking and athleticism definitely than it is the shot. I think I buy his shot a little bit more than you do, but I think that certainly in his first couple of years, he's probably going to be below average from three point range, but just given his exceptional playmaking skills and instincts and given the fact that he's a ridiculous athlete with really solid defensive fundamentals, I think that his shot can come along a little more slowly and he can still be a solid player early on. Maybe I have more confidence in his shot down the road than you do, but putting him at two is not as much about the shot as it is about the everything else. Yeah, that, that's fair. And I, 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 I still have Mobley pretty entrenched at two, but I, I don't really have any you know, strong disagreements with guys who are people who have Suggs or Green there. I, I think those three um, really belong in that next grouping right after Cade. I, the, the, those three guys are pretty clearly right there for me. So it's funny that you say that. I do have Evan Mobley at third. I think that he's an excellent big man prospect on both ends. I think he's someone who could be an all-defensive player, and I think that his handle and his shot gives me enough confidence that Maybe he won't be the primary offensive option for a team, but he's certainly not just going to be like a dive man type who is among the sort of rotational replaceable seven footers who can just dive to the rim and dunk. I think his offensive game has a lot more potential than that, but more to the point is a lot more developed than that right now. And his playmaking skills also give me a lot of hope for his future in the NBA. The interesting thing for me is that you said that you have the guy that I have number four in sort of the same tier as Jalen Suggs and Evelyn Mobley, whereas the way I see it is I think we both agree that Cade is in a tier of his own at the top, but I think that the line for me between Evan Mobley at three and Jalen Green at four is almost as strong, if not stronger, than the line I would draw between Jalen Green at four and Jonathan Kaminga at five, and you know, we've been talking about the top five in this class being pretty clear for a while now. And I think, you know, that's really the main grouping. But if I had to put the top five into tiers, I think I might only have Suggs and Mobley in that tier two behind Cade Cunningham and then the G League Ignite guys in sort of a tier three behind them. Yeah, I mean, so I, I just today got done writing about 4,000 words on Jalen Green and doing the deep dive into him. Um, and I just... You know, I, I continue to come away really impressed um, and really encouraged by him. And for me, I, I, I think Jalen Green is closer to two for me than Kuminga is to four, if that makes sense. Um, that makes total I, I, sense. It's also really <laughs> interesting to me because I feel pretty differently about it. But I think I've also been higher on Kuminga than you have for most of this process. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just I completely buy Jalen Green being an elite scorer. I think worst case scenario, that's what he'll be. A incredible athlete. I really hope that he goes to a place that already has like an established playmaker or primary initiator. So because I I, I think eventually he'll develop into more of kind of that initiator role. But early on, I want to see him in that secondary playmaking where he can create for others while he's on the move. Uh, he can kind of make, make the simple reads out of like double drags or the pick and roll, but he can't make the complex reads and struggles reading that weak side defender. So early on, I, I don't think his playmaking will be there. Um, I really like him as an isolation defender too. Uh, struggles with screens a lot, um, just his the consistency navigating them. But I, his athleticism, his footwork is all really impressive in space. So just I, I buy the defensive improvement. I buy the athleticism, the scoring, and all of that. I, I, I think he could easily be a, a scoring champion in the future. Yeah, he definitely has the potential to win a scoring title. I think really what this comes down to is I'm much more worried about his playmaking long term than you are. I think that, you know, he clearly has the potential to be an elite scorer. And then the questions for me are not his on ball defense. He's pretty good in isolation, certainly improved over the course of the year. But 
he's definitely going to get lost a lot off ball, especially in his first year in the NBA. And granted, all rookies are terrible defenders. So, you know, maybe he can develop on that end quickly. But ultimately, for me, if he's creating a lot of shots for himself and not that much for others, I'm pretty concerned about that side of things. And I totally agree with you. It will be problematic for a team if they just expect Jalen Green to be their point guard from day one, and he would really benefit from having a primary playmaker alongside him rather than being sort of the guy mainly responsible for all of the creation. Yeah, so I'm like, I, like my ideal landing spots for him, you know, is like Detroit or Oklahoma City or like Toronto, where they have this established guy, they have the system, they know what they want to run, and they're plugging him into it. They're not bringing him in and saying, you're the system, you're the offense now, let's go. Um, because I, I think that will, he'll, he'll get his numbers, but it'll be inefficient. It won't lead to winning basketball. It'll be a struggle early on. Um, I, I, but I, I think if he goes to that place with that established point guard, it'll just make his development curve just a lot smoother. I really, really, really hope he goes to OKC. <laughs> Man, and him and Shea would be so much fun together. Yeah, him, Shea, and Lou Dort in the backcourt slash small forward spot, that would just be so much fun. And that would be really, I think, great for all of their developments, honestly. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, we, we, we saw the effect that taking Shea out of that lineup or that roster had and oh, how they immediately yeah. plummeted. And, and Shea, Shea's already incredibly smart and versatile so just adding an uber athletic scoring guard next to him um that it would make me really really excited to watch them in the future and at number five we tease this sort of throughout i have jonathan kaminga who after doing more of a deep dive originally i actually had kaminga ahead of green and i decided to swap them a little bit ago before this podcast I really do believe in Kuminga, especially as a wing-sized guy who's got not, you know, Cade-level primary ball handler kind of instincts, but I think he has that potential in him, and I think he's also a little bit more willing of a passer at this point than Jalen Green. Really, though, for Kuminga, if that jump shot doesn't come along, his ceiling is going to be so much lower, whereas, you know, with Green, we've seen that he can create shots at all three levels, so... That's, you know, why I ultimately slotted Kaminga in at number five, but I still really believe in him, and I think that any team that gets him at five is going to be very happy with the result, especially if that jump shot can come along sooner rather than later. So Kaminga has kind of become public enemy number one on draft Twitter, it seems, where it's almost become the the cool thing to have him lower than five um i i still have him pretty much firmly locked in at five i don't see myself moving him either direction um what we saw in the g league bubble from him wasn't great there are flashes of brilliance but there are a lot of stretches of what are you doing man um and i but i still think that the upside with him is tremendous where it's it's legit all-star level player um i just think that a lot of things have to go right for him to really hit that upside where i don't have that much of a concern with like the top four guys that's fair i mean it is funny to sort of see all the takes flying around about kuminga falling further and further down draft boards but I mean, the top five of this draft has been pretty clear for a while, and I think the other thing, too, that really hurts Kuminga's stock is that he missed so much of the you know the latter half of the yeah. G League season, whereas a lot of the best stuff that we saw from Jalen Green was towards the end of that G League season, and I think if Kuminga had been healthy during the entire G League bubble, that a lot fewer people would be willing to send him further down the draft board than that top five. Yeah, it was, it was just you know the games weren't primetime television so not a ton of people watched them anyways and then the fact that he missed a handful of them because of injury it you know missing games never does any good for player stock and especially when the tape that you have put out there is really hit or miss um you know it it, it generates a lot of questions so i i get why people are moving them down because i i do think a lot of you know the player that he could be or what you're drafting is theoretical and not actual yet. Um, but 
I still think that that star upside play is there with him. So I, I really don't see myself moving him out of that top five. All right, let's move on to the rest of the lottery. So six through 14, we are certainly going to have a disagreement at the end, but we're, I think, on the same page with the start of that rest of the lottery group. I have Moses Moody at six. I mean, he's such a clear NBA fit, you know, great three-point shooter, really good defensive player, and he has serious potential upside if he can get a little bit better with the ball in his hands. And we saw that sort of in the later parts of his season, whereas in the beginning he was a lot more of a catch-and-shoot guy. But I just believe that any team that gets Moses Moody is going to get a guy that at his absolute worst is a clear positive rotation player and you know, that for me is enough to put him pretty clearly, I think, at number six. You know, I think there's a bigger line between five and six than there is anywhere in the top five outside of Kate at one, but I feel very comfortable with Moses Moody at sixth overall. Agreed. I I love Moody. I, I've seen him falling to like the 20s on some more prominent boards. And I, I, I don't get the reasoning behind that. Um, the game just comes really naturally to him. Uh, good shooter, good defender. I, I think he's a better team defender than an on-ball defender. Um, kind of like in the that Robert Covington sense or that or like Devin Vassell from uh, at, like we saw at Florida State and this year with San Antonio. But I, he's just a a good player that's it's really just as simple as that um i've heard some rumblings and rumors about maybe some health issues with his knees but i you know i i don't have access to that info so if that's why people are dropping him then maybe i can get behind that a little more but since that's not really public knowledge or really detailed stuff out there um i I tend to avoid it so i i just i don't understand kind of the consensus or, you know, the quote-unquote mainstream, dropping him quite a ways out of the lottery. Yeah, unless it's super obvious injury stuff, like, you know, Michael Porter getting medically red flagged, you know, I also don't have any of that kind of information. And if I did, maybe I would consider dropping Moody further. But, I mean, without that, I think he's got a very clear NBA skill set, and I think that he's a pretty clear lottery choice. And dropping him all the way to the 20s, I think, is aggressive, even if you had that kind of medical information. Because once you get down to, like, 2021, I think I might honestly take five good years and then flaming out because of health issues with Moody than some of the guys that are going to get picked in the early 20s. Yeah, and I, he he just he fits this modern wing role perfectly. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. Um, I I think he'll be a really good shooter. Um, you know, he he obviously needs to get a little stronger um, and add some muscle. But what teenager doesn't? So I, I I just really like the development curve and expectations for how he can fit into an NBA rotation. So up next at number seven, I have Scotty Barnes. And I think the main reason that I'm so much higher on him than you are is just because I believe in the defensive ceiling a little bit more than you do. But even without that, I mean, he was a 6'9 primary point guard last year, and I don't think he's going to be a primary point guard in the NBA. But having him as a secondary playmaker can be huge for an offense and You know, the concern with him, I think, really is whether he can develop any sort of jump shot at all. But even if he doesn't, I mean, him making plays out of the high post, him making plays out of handoffs, I'm very comfortable that he will be a guy who raises the ceilings of his teams offensively. And I think he's going to be a defensive plus pretty quickly. And even if he doesn't sort of hit the all defensive ceiling that I think he has on the defensive end, I think that he will be a very solid contributor at the NBA level, even if that jump shot doesn't ever come along. Yeah. I'm Scotty is such a unique prospect for me. Um, He's just, he's really smart. His motor is incredible. Uh, Really creative passer, which is just something we don't really see from that, from that position. Um, It's kind of like a, Kyle Anderson esque type passer at that position. Um, and, you know, 
I, I do buy the defense. I, I love him as an on-ball defender. I expect him to be kind of the spearhead of every defense or whatever defense he's a part of and switching everything and wreaking havoc. I, I just worry a little bit about his off-ball defense, I think. Um, I, I think that's gotten overblown a little bit. I, he roamed a ton off-ball, um, I'm assuming, the Florida State wanted him to do that some, but a lot of the time he would do that, but then completely lose his man and be a step behind. So, you know, obviously that's something that can be coached out. Um, just that's just one of my hesitations with him. Up next at number eight, I have Zaire Williams, who I think along with Moody is probably the guy I have in the lottery that has fallen the most in recent weeks. And I don't really get it i mean obviously we saw sort of the downside potential with zaire this year at stanford where he was very inefficient as a scorer and you know okay on the defensive end but not spectacular but i mean he had just such a complicated season at stanford as we've talked about many times already Really, for me, the reason I have him at eight is I think he's got a really, really high ceiling. He is a much better passer than I thought he was before I started started doing deep dives on his film. And he makes some really creative passes and, you know, some highlight reel level plays that, you know, if he could do that with a little bit more consistency and he, he can be a little bit more consistent with his jump shot both of which I think will happen in a better environment than he had during his freshman season at Stanford. I mean, he's the guy outside of the top five in this draft that I think has the greatest chance of being an all-star slash maybe even all-NBA type player if absolutely everything works out. And, you know, obviously there's reason to believe that that might not happen given what we saw from him this year at Stanford, but I'm a believer in the positive side of his skill set. And I think if you're picking at eight, you know, you want to take a home run swing and that's definitely Sire Williams. I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for this kid last year. And I, I've kind of just chalked it up as a lost year. And even, you know, despite all that, he showed a lot of flashes that were really encouraging. I, I, I think he will be a good shot maker. I like him as a rebounder really good decision maker and like you said the, the passing was what really stood out to me um you know I, I don't think he'll necessarily ever be a primary initiator but the willingness to just make that extra pass to move the ball to really let the offense flow is something I wasn't expecting of you know of him really because I you know, five-star recruit coming into Stanford, I kind of expected him to come in with just the mentality of, all right, I'm the man, I'm going to take this over, here we go. And instead it was, all right, what's the right basketball play? Where does the ball need to move? Um, you could tell that he's thinking, you know, one, two, three steps ahead every possession, which is really encouraging. So, you know, all of that, um, the flashes that he showed, what he could be, his high school tape um I, I i definitely think that he's the best home run swing outside of that top five up next at number nine another guy who i think would be a great home run swing in kai jones i feel weird and spoiler alert here for the end of the lottery but i feel weird having three centers in my lottery given my usual draft philosophy about centers but with kai jones he's got incredible athleticism and great defensive upside. And on the offensive end, I think he has multiple paths to being a really solid complementary offensive player. I mean, right away from day one, he's going to be a great transition player, great rim runner, lob threat kind of player. But he's also got a developing and pretty solid three-point shot. Now, we talked on the Kai Jones deep dive about how I absolutely do not believe in his shot off the dribble in any way, and I'm a little bit worried about the inconsistency of his mechanics, but, you know, if he is a guy who can be both a pick-and-roll guy and a pick-and-pop guy on the offensive end, while also having that sort of all-defensive upside as a guy manning the middle and being great rim protector, I think that he has the potential to be the kind of center that you want to take in the lottery, you know, even if I wouldn't 
usually be in favor of that. I think he's got the right kind of combination of skills to make me pretty confident that he's going to be more than just your typical or rather replacement level big man. Yeah, I mean, his athleticism is and just kind of fluidity at that size is really unique. And the fact that he started playing basketball only a few years ago um, is really special considering the type of player he already is. So just what, you know, that it's really exciting to think about where he came from just a few years ago and where he is now and what that could be after, you know, a, a few years of NBA coaching and experience. I, I, I love him defensively. I think he can essentially guard anyone on the floor. Um, and I, I, I like the shot or I believe in the shot somewhat from standstill off the catch. Um, I don't think he'll ever be, you know, uh, an awesome shooter from outside, but if he can make the occasional tra trail three and transition, or, you know, at least make defenses have to respect the pick and pop. Um, I, I think I'll do wonders for him because he's proven that he can attack closeouts and, and get to the rim uh, for, from the perimeter. So he, he's just a really fun player. Speaking of really fun players, one of our mutual favorites, I have Davion Mitchell at number 10. He's a defensive menace. He's the kind of guy that you can just sick on the primary ball handler every night and expect that he's going to do a great job defensively while also generating turnovers at one of the top rates. And as we talked about on the Draft Philosophy podcast, you know, steal rate is one of the things that translates the most from college slash international leagues to the NBA. And I fully believe that Davion Mitchell could be average defensively as a rookie, which very rarely happens. And, you know, after that rookie year, I think he's going to be a really solid defensive piece for a team. His three-point shot has also come along a lot, especially in the last year. And, you know, I think that he also has a ridiculous first step and good creating instincts. And I think that it'll be interesting to sort of see which team he goes to because, you know, him with Jared Butler at Baylor was, I think, great for both of them. And if he's got another, you know, bigger guard alongside him who can handle some of the creation responsibilities, I think that would be a really interesting look for a team. But even if he's drafted to a team that sort of sees him as the primary pure point guard, I think that he will be again, a defensive menace and someone that can definitely be a positive to an offense with his driving ability, his passing, and his much-developed three-point shot. Yeah, he, he's just so much fun to watch. And just the, the pure energy, the footwork, the athleticism, the shooting, the defense, just all of it. Just watch, watching him is an absolute joy. And, you know, people who just say oh well he's only seen this bump because of what he did in the tournament it's like well yes to some point but he also did what he did in the tournament the entire season for Baylor so you know go back to January and watch one of their random games you'll see him doing the exact same things where he's blowing by guys on the drive he's hit, knocking down threes and he's playing incredible point of attack defense um I, I you know I I can understand somewhat being turned off by the age but I, and I, I think all that means is you're, you're getting a win now player. So I, I, I love his game. I think people are overthinking him. And I, I think he'll be in the league for quite some time. Up next at 11, I have Josh Giddy And 11 might seem high on some draft boards, but honestly, given my personal draft evaluation, I'm honestly shocked that I have him at 11 as opposed to higher. I mean, he's a 6'8 playmaker, which is very much my thing. He's someone who has produced in an international league as a teenager, which is also very much my thing. I mean, he might be the best passer in this class, certainly the best passer in this class, I think, off the dribble. And he just shot up boards after having this great season at Adelaide. And I think that he's someone who, at his worst, will be a valuable contributor off the bench for a team. But, you know, given how much he's grown and shot up draft boards just this year, you know, it's hard for me to sort of put a ceiling on what he could be, especially once he puts on a little bit of weight. And, you know, that I think will also help him sort of score more efficiently around the basket once he's not as skinny as he is right now. So, 11, I think, is higher than most people, but I'm honestly surprised that I don't have him even higher than that. 
Oh, so I, I've started seeing some people have him as high as five. Um, okay, I, I yeah, that's aggressive. <laughs> that, that that's a bit much for me. I have him at ten. I I really like like his game and just kind of what he could be. Uh, just ambidextrous passer, incredible size, really good feel for the game. Um, you know, he, he's going to have to prove that he can shoot and not be a a negative on defense. Um, I'm I'm really intrigued to see how teams play him. Um, if they actually use him as, you know, a point guard or if they have him, you know, theoret- or play the theoretical three and then put two smaller guards or something out there with him too. Um, I, 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 I just think the ways that he could be used is um, he, he allows for a lot of creativity and like kind of rotational flexibility. Up next at number 12, I have Trey Mann. So not quite as high on him as you are, but certainly quite high on him. I mean, his step backs are just beautiful to watch. And he now that he's gone through his growth spurt that he had during his sophomore year, he's got really solid size at the point guard position. I have him lower than you do just because I don't think I have as much confidence in his passing slash creating for others as you do. But I mean, just his ability to get himself open for good looks from beyond the three point line is enough for me to think that he's a pretty clear lottery prospect. I, I love his game and he he's the one guy in the, this draft where it's like, that's, that's my guy. That's the guy I'm riding with. Um, I, I love his space. He's the best space creator in the class i think he's an awesome shooter um i i don't think he's an elite passer but i i think he's a much better passer than he gets credit for um i i don't think that was necessarily a good florida team and you know their their best player collapsed on the court four games into the season um i can't even imagine having to deal with that and you know i don't think that they were was really much else on that roster that's going to really play or see any time in the NBA. Uh, Scotty Lewis, I think we'll get there because of his defense, but I was about to say, how his, dare you his, slander his, Scotty Lewis like that? No, I, I love Scotty and his defense, but his offense was a disaster. And I don't think that Mike White did a super creative job in utilizing that roster. So I, 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 understand the concerns with Trey Mann's passing because he's not actively passing guys open, but I do think that he generally makes the right reads can, you know, can find the open guy can change the angle to get the ball to guys. Um, He's not going to be LaMelo ball or anything out there, but I, I, I think he's a good enough passer to really to, to run a good NBA offense. Up next at number 13, I have Franz Wagner, who did not have the greatest end to his season, which I'm sure you're aware of as a Michigan fan, but he's a great defensive prospect on the wing, 6'9", and decent with the ball in his hands. His shot tends to come and go, but I do believe in it, and I think that he's going to be at least an average shooter at the NBA level, and when you combine that with his defensive upside, I would have trouble dropping him out of the lottery. So I have him at 13. He's just a a really good, he's kind of like Moses Modi where he's just a really good player and a really good connecting wing where he's going to do a lot of everything or a little bit of everything at a really high level. Um, I am a little more hesitant on the shooting, um, but you know, the mechanics are pretty sound. So I, I expect him to, you know, eventually at least be league average, but really smart, versatile defender. Um, he's super young, especially for a sophomore. So that's encouraging. Uh, great feel for the game, really good passer on the move. So I, I don't think he has any potential to be that lead guy, to be that number one option um, on either end of the floor. But he could be an awesome number two or number three guy in the rotation. All right. So people who have been listening to Draft Deep Dives for a long time slash since the beginning have probably known that this is coming. The biggest disagreement that Tyler and I have, the one that we've probably discussed more than anything else, I have Alperin Shangun at 14th overall on my board. And, you know, I think the biggest part of that is he's put up incredible production and incredible numbers as an 18 slash 19 year old in the Turkish league, which is one of the best non-NBA leagues in the world. 
his playmaking has really come along over the course of the year, which is very encouraging. You know, he's not just scoring for himself on post-ups and getting tons of tip-ins, but he's also creating plays for his teammates, certainly a lot more than he was at the beginning of the season. Really, the concerns with him are going to be with his shooting. Can he be more than an occasional three-point shooter? I think I believe in his mechanics more than you do, but that will be huge for him at the next level. And then really, it's just going to be about the defense, which I think is just going to be that I'm relying on his basketball IQ to have him sort of develop to the point where he's solidly below average as opposed to terrible on the defensive end. But that I think is going to be the sticking point for most people that and, you know, is he just getting rebounds that he's not going to get at the NBA level with more size and athleticism around him that I'm less concerned about, especially since he does so well on the offensive glass, which, you know, I think is a lot more telling than defensive rebounding numbers. If we're talking about sort of translation from the Turkish league to the NBA level, but having him at 14 is certainly a take. And so yeah, go for it. Pick apart Alperin Shingun at 14. Uh, and I I feel like you're more with the masses than I am at this point with Singoon. Um, you know, he he's been one of these big risers recently, and and he he's incredibly skilled, especially for his age. It's, and on the on the block and the post, um, I I think he's a really talented scorer. Um, I I just I I think he's going to be a disaster on defense. Um. He can't, he's not a good athlete. He is completely lost in space, you know, not even to the point where he's just a step behind because of his athleticism, but he has no idea where to be positionally. So I, I've seen comps to Enos Cantor. I don't think that's fair. I think he'll be a better player than Cantor and Cantor's had a really good career. Um, and was also drafted a third overall. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, that that's a whole different conversation. Um, but I've, I've, I've also seen links or comps to Jokic and Sabonis, which I think is ludicrous. He's not that player. You know, I'll gladly eat crow if he ends up being that player. Uh, that's an incredible MVP caliber player. I'm encouraged by the passing. Um, I, I am slowly moving him up. I'm would be stunned if I ever get him out of the twenties, but the, the having a big man be that, awful on defense is really concerning to me um and i i get that he's an awesome shot blocker um but i think that will be negated some in the nba given his kind of lack of athleticism and complete inability to do anything in space i think that sabonis is honestly a reasonable ceiling for him i say ceiling and i want to emphasize ceiling you know i think Jokic is ridiculous i don't think yeah. it's fair to he's, compare he's anyone to Jokic. yeah i don't think it's fair to compare anyone to Jokic. but i mean could i see a world where shangun really develops his shot and becomes not abysmal on defense and is a good enough playmaker to make an all-star game or two as a Sabonis type of, you know, back of the all-star roster player. I could see that for him. I really could, you know, again, Jokic is ridiculous, but I think that Sabonis is a pretty fair ceiling for him. Yeah. I, I, the passing is really encouraging that that's really intriguing, especially if you surround him with, four shooters and you just kind of put him on the elbow and let him operate from there. I, I think that could lead to some really creative offenses and create a lot of space for him to do a lot of damage because and if help defense digs on him, he'll kick it out to the shooter. He'll find cutters. He can, you know, bully his guy inside. I, I still worry about the height. I think he's being listed more at 6'10 now, which is encouraging. The 6'9 was really turned me off. Um, I've seen a couple clips of him starting to kind of hit step backs. Uh, I don't think that'll ever be a prominent part of his game, but if, but if we can get more examples of him kind of shooting on the move or, you know, slowly expanding his range, that'll certainly make me more interested in him and, you know, less concerned about if he can, you know, at least do something in space offensively. But I, if we can see more, I think his mechanics are solid. Um, and that combined with his over 80% free throw percentage, um, you know, th th those are promising indicators. It's just kind of, I, I need to see it at some point. 
All right, let's move on now to the rest of the first round. And so starting out at number 15, I have a player that certainly has been in lottery consideration this year. I have James Booknight. Now, during the Draft Philosophy podcast, we talked about how I tend to be concerned about players who are inefficient scorers who can't do all that much else. But with Booknight, I think that his off-ball skills are good enough that I would be comfortable taking him at 15. I would hope that he doesn't try to be the primary guy for his team's offense, which, you know, I think works if you're a team that's drafting at 15, you know, a low-end playoff team. But even if he doesn't do all that much more than score, I think that he's got solid enough defensive instincts and really great off-ball movement to the point where I think he can be a solid role player, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands every play. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think the eval on Book Knight is that complicated. Um, and we do- dove into him a couple episodes ago, and I think we kind of covered him pretty uh, sufficiently there. Um, just good score, uh, complete blinders on with passing. Um, and I just have some concerns with his lateral agility uh, defensively, but overall, you know, good score, smart, smart defender at least. So I, I don't think it'll be any massive issues on that end. Up next at 16, I have Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. We talked about this during the Jaden Springer deep dive. I am higher on Keon than I am on Jaden, but not all that much, as we'll see shortly. Keon is a crazy athlete, which I think is his biggest calling card at this point, but his jumper and overall consistency really need work if he's going to be more than a back end of a rotation guy. Uh, yeah, I, I for him, I, I just don't buy the shot at all. And without that and a pretty mediocre handle, I don't see what he is offensively because if neither of those, I mean, they'll develop somewhat, but uh, without, you know, one, at least one of those tools, um, he becomes a much less effective offensive player, but great athlete. I expect him to be a good defender. Just will he have enough offense to to earn minutes? Well, you know whose shot I'm not worried about is the guy I have at number 17, Corey Kispert. He's not just a shooter. He can do a little bit with the ball in his hands, and he's not terrible on the defensive end, but the shooting is really going to be his calling card at the next level. And, you know, he had a lot of space in the Gonzaga offense, but, you know, hopefully he'll have similar sort of space if he's going to a playoff team at 17. I'd be worried about taking him in the lottery just because I don't think a lottery team is the kind of team that can best use his skill set. But Agreed. if you get him on a playoff team, I think he'll be a really solid contributor pretty quickly. Yeah. And that he, Corey Kispert is another guy that I feel like people are just overthinking at this point. Um, yes, he's an incredible shooter, but he's a lot more than that. He's just a really smart player, really good team defender. And he's a big dude. I mean, he's six, seven, six, eight. Uh, he can, he can attack closeouts, really good cutter. Um, he's not going to be doing a ton of individual sh- shot creation, but you know when guys close out sloppily to him, he he can definitely beat them off the dribble and get to the rim. Um, and I I think he's a better defender than he gets credit for, um, and also just a, a really smart passer. So as like that tertiary guy making the extra pass, finding the cutter, finding the open shooter in the corner, and you know punishing the defensive rotations I, I i think he's he he's just going to be a really good pro up next at 18 i have jaden springer and we talked about this during the jaden springer deep dive i'm a lot more worried than you are about his ability to sort of score around the rim and get to the rim at the nba level he did a lot of pushing guys around at the college level that will be harder against bigger nba players and better nba athletes and i'm also worried about the shot to the point where I have him at 18, but I think he still has a really good shot to be a very solid player. It's just he's going to need to be a much better shooter to get the most he can out of the rest of his game. Yeah, and I, he's he's one of the more polarizing guys, I feel. Um, I, I buy the shot. I know the outside, the percentages were really good, but um, it was really low volume from outside. Uh, but I, I think he has good mechanics. I think he has good touch. Um, how much pressure he can put on the rim, I, I, I think that is a fair concern. But And the fact that he's a two-foot leaper, I don't necessarily love. But I, I think he will eventually be a, an above-average shooter, and I think he's a really, really good defender. 
Well, if we're talking about polarizing prospects, maybe the most polarizing prospect in this draft, I have Jalen Johnson at 19. Some people have him in the top 10, and I think he's got that kind of top 10 level upside, but his lack of a shot and his overall lack of consistency, as well as, you know, the defensive end kind of in its entirety is really concerning to me. And honestly, I think the only reason that I have him as high as 19 is because he does have a really high upside if everything works out. But unlike with, say, Scotty Barnes, I don't have anywhere near the kind of confidence in the upside of Jalen Johnson working out as opposed to, you know, him sort of hitting some landmines, relatively speaking. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I have Johnson in the twenties. I just he he's just one of those guys that I if I miss on him, fine. That it, it is what it is. Um, I you know good rebounder, good shot blocker, uh, mainly from the weak side. Uh, he has that grab and go ability and transition. Solid at attacking the rim. I don't really trust a shot at all. Um, I just I think he's overblown or his athleticism is overblown. Um, just everything he does feels really stiff and rigid and I, not being able to beat Kofi Coburn off the dribble is really concerning to me. Um, so people who are like, Oh, he can play this point forward type role. I don't see it. I, I think he's a pretty mediocre ball handler and just everything he does is just feels very, very stiff. Yeah, I have 200 times more confidence in Scotty Barnes as a point forward than I do in Jalen Johnson as a point forward. Totally agree. All right, up next at number 20, I have Isaiah Jackson at Kentucky. And I was much happier with his later season tape than his beginning of the season tape. He's another guy who's a really great athlete who's shown great rim protection instincts, you know, both as a rim guy and pretty solid weak side shot blocking as well. The question for me with him is what he does on the offensive end besides dunk, and I don't think that he's quite the same caliber of defender as, say, a Kai Jones, where you know I'm thinking that he's going to do enough on the defensive end to sort of be more than a replacement-level center, but I think he's got a solid skill set, and I would not be... I would certainly understand it more if he ended up rising into the lottery than if Jalen Johnson did, but I still have him down at number 20. Yeah. And he, he is one of the best shot blockers in the country. You know, part of that is due to him chasing everything, but an also incredible length and second jump ability uh, was really, really impressive. Um, so I defensively and rebounding, I, I think he'll, you know, automatically find a way into a rotation based solely on that but like you said can he shoot can he do anything on offense um i i'm slowly coming around to the idea that he can he'll be able to shoot somewhat um but i i, I want to go I, I i will be going back through some of that late later in the season tape to kind of, kind of see what changed because as you pointed out, it, he he definitely was one of those guys that really progressed throughout the season. Up next at 21, I have Sharif Cooper, and this hurts a bit because I would really like to love his game more than I do. He's such an incredible passer, and he's so much fun to watch with the ball in his hands, but he can't shoot, and the defense is always going to be a problem because he's a small guard, and you know... You have to be so good at everything else on defense to be valuable as a small guard, and he just doesn't have that skill set. And I'm worried that he might just be like a late career Rajon Rondo type where he's useless to a negative player on the defensive end and really doesn't do anything other than pass and, you know, can't shoot even if he's left wide, wide, wide open. And, you know, even with Rondo, he at least had a couple of seasons where he was in the high 30s on like two attempts per game. If Sharif can develop his jump shot in the first couple of years, then I think having him at 21 might look a little stupid, but I really just don't think that he's got enough outside of the passing for me to be confident in putting him any higher than the high 20s. And Honestly, that might even look questionable if he doesn't bring that jump shot along at least a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, he's listed at 6'1", which I think is generous. Um, Kemba and, Walker's also listed at 6'1". Yeah, and the the comps that I 
kind of keep going back to for Sharif Cooper. Cooper are like a smaller LaMelo ball, Trey Young without the shot, Facundo Composo. Composo's had an awesome year, but a lot of what he's able to do is opened up because of the gravity of Jokic. So, you know, the odds are Cooper won't have that same um you know that 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 same landing spot uh incredible playmaker really crafty with the ball great at drawing fouls um incredible vision and touch on his passes i i don't think he'll ever be a good shooter um i i think the issues with his mechanics are really ingrained um i mean he's he falls out of his shot every time and that's a result of being small and trying to get it over defenders um and i i don't anticipate that he'll be growing anymore so i i think that that is a habit that will really 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 be difficult to to work out of him up next at number 22 i have jared butler who is a very different type of player you know he's a great shooter and solid defender who can play either guard spot he's not a primary creator type i don't think but he is at least useful as a secondary guy with the ball in his hands and i don't think he has anywhere near the same kind of ceiling as cooper if cooper can sort of figure out his shot but with butler it's kind of like you know what you're getting you know i would be surprised if he isn't like a 15 minute a game role player for at least two long contracts in the nba yeah he's a really smart player. Uh, he might be the best ball handler in this class. His ability to create space and get to the rim um, is is really unique and really special. Uh, really good shooter, smart defender. Um, his defensive impact will be limited some just based on his kind of slender frame. Um, not, not super explosive either and doesn't do really any rebounding, but you're not going to be asking him to do that. Uh, but as... It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a, a good starting point guard on a good team, on a contender, but I don't see him as that, you know, first, second, or third guy. Up next at 23, I have Ayo Desunmu, who has moved around a lot on various draft boards during his three years at Illinois. He has a lot of really useful skills, and this year he showed dramatic improvement in his three-point shooting. If that improvement in his three-point shot is real and, you know, sticks around at the NBA level, he could be someone who definitely outperforms his draft slot in the mid-20s, but I would be surprised if he falls out of the first round. I think just his overall package makes it worth it for a team, especially, you know, in the late 20s where he can sort of figure out his role, come along slowly at the NBA level. I think he could be a really solid NBA player. Yeah, so I, we we might disagree on Ao more than uh, Sangoon. Um, oh, interesting. I, I, I have Ao at thirty-seven right now. I, I I like his defense, his size, uh, his transition offense. It might be one of the best in this class. Uh, his pick and roll creation really improved this year too. Um, I hesitate to buy on buy in on the shot because it was a disaster before this year. Um, and I, I just, I don't think he's a good playmaker. So I, I, I wouldn't trust him to be the lead guard in an offense. I don't know what he really does offensively. So from a defensive standpoint, I I get it. I buy in. Um, I just struggle to see what he brings to the table offensively. Well, someone who we definitely don't struggle to see what they will bring to the table offensively is Chris Duarte, who I have at 24. And it's funny that I have him at 24 because he will be 24 before his first NBA season starts. But I still think that any team that gets him at the latter end of the first round is going to be very happy. He's a good defender. And more than that, he's just an excellent shooter who I think will be ready to contribute to an NBA rotation right away. And, you know, I think that's good enough for a playoff team to pick him. I would be surprised if he falls out of the league before the end of his second contract yeah he'll he'll be a great connecting piece uh really good shooter really good defender uh won't do anything in the realms of playmaking or anything like that but and he's just he's he's ancient and you know the prospect world so it's a guy that is kind of plug and play right away um he won't hurt you i don't think he'll elevate a rotation a ton um but he'll, he'll definitely help with 
filling holes on, on both ends of the floor. Up next at 25, I have Usman Garuba, who I think we have both warmed to over the course of this year. Yep. I might even have him higher than 25 by the time we hit actual draft day. He has an argument for being the best defensive big man prospect in the class, and his offense, which at the start of this year for Real Madrid was like close your eyes level awful, has come along yeah. to the point where I think he's going to be good enough on the offensive end that he can get by. And, you know, with his defensive skill and potential, especially as a switch guy, I mean, it's worth it as long as he can do pretty much anything on the offensive end. And I'm much more confident that he can do at least something on the offensive end now than I was, say, a couple months ago. I'm at that same point because his his work rate, his defense, all of that is obvious. It jumps off the screen. You know, it hits you in the face because it's so good and intense um but that the offense was a car wreck earlier in the season so once i go back through more of his more more recent stuff these last couple weeks um it it wouldn't surprise me if i end up moving him you know maybe even into the lottery because if he can just do something on that end if he can just knock down corner threes or you know even just attack the closeouts um find the open guy just little things like that offensively it it will do absolute wonders um because earlier in the season i just kind of saw him as finasse santo decumpo um and i struggled to use a first round pick on that type of player but if that offense really has come along um then it'll be a lot easier to buy in up next at 26 i have roko prakachin and I really buy into his shot and his offensive game overall. I think he'll be a solid contributor on the offensive end. The defense is a concern, but I mean, at least he's got size on the wing, so it won't be a total disaster on that end. And if his shot is as good at the NBA level as it's been in EuroLeague, he's definitely the kind of player that I would want to take sort of towards the end of the first round. That's interesting. I, I like Rocco. Um, Rocco. I don't know why I said it like that. Um I'm a little more hesitant on his shot. I think he kind of has a funky release um, and the defensive consistency I don't love, but I, I think there's a ton of upside there um, and the flashes that he's shown defensively are really encouraging. So at his size, his kind of fluidity, his athleticism uh, and feel for the game with rebounding, passing, all of that. Um, I, I think he could be a really, really intriguing kind of home run swing. Um outside of the lottery up next at 27 i have jeremiah robinson earl who has really moved around on draft boards throughout the course of the year but ultimately for me he's a really smart player he can contribute on both ends he's a great passer for his size and i think he's someone who could be a really solid connecting piece for a team and especially if he goes you know in this part of the draft where he's going to a top tier playoff team i think he can be someone who contributes early on in his career as you know a role player type and if everything goes right, you know, I think he might have a higher ceiling than that. But ultimately, I just believe in him as an NBA player. I would be shocked if he's not someone who sticks around for a little while. And, you know, if everything goes right for him, especially if he can get a better jump shot, then I think he has a higher ceiling than you might usually get with the 27th pick. He feels like one of the top guys this year who's just going to fall because he isn't the sexiest pick or the biggest home run swing. He's, he's absolutely a brilliant basketball player. And I love his defensive versatility Uh, just does a little bit of everything that contributes to winning basketball. And, you know, it's kind of become cliche to say that about Villanova guys at this point. Um, But like you said, I, I fully expect him to stick around in rotations for quite some time. Up next at 28, I have Daron Sharp, who I guess given that I now have Garuba ahead of him, this isn't as true, but you know, my first center prospect since Shangun at 14, and he's a crazy rebounder, you know, just excellent effort and hits the offensive glass like a madman. But the reason that I have him in the first round is he's a great passer for his position, and that gives me a lot more confidence in his offensive role going forward than if he was just, you know, an energy type of big man. The passing is what really keeps him kind of right around the first round, 
for me. Um, I currently just have him right outside because I don't know what he does without a shot. Um, and he's just, he's so sporadic. Um, but, you know, th- thinking of him, you know, pa- passing out of the short roll or passing out of the post is, is really interesting um, for what an offense could be. But the, the, the main things that will get him minutes are that insane motor and rebounding ability. Up next at 29, I have Miles McBride, and I buy his defense for sure. I am just not sure that he will have enough of a package on the offensive end to sort of be a lead guard type. I mean, I think that, you know, if he's a defensive piece off the bench, he'll be solid. And that's why I ended up having him sort of towards the back end of the first round. But I'm not as confident in him as any of the guard prospects that I have higher than him. And the guy that I have at number 30, I think ultimately has a much, much, much higher ceiling, even though I'm a lot more worried about his floor. But I ultimately decided I couldn't bump McBride out of the first round entirely. So I'm sticking him here at 29. I I absolutely love McBride and I have him at 23. I I think he's one of the best guard defenders in this class um I, I don't think he'll ever be that lead initiator I, I he's a pretty average playmaker but I I believe in his his shooting um the the defense is obvious and if you can have him as your sixth man or that second guard playing alongside a more offensive or defensively inept uh lead point guard um that that would be ideal for him but i i absolutely love mcbride and finally number 30 wrapping up the first round and i very intentionally put this player at number 30 because i would have felt stupid leaving him out of the first round entirely but he is also the exact archetype of prospect that was created to drive me completely insane i have cam thomas as the 30th overall (laughs) pick and His shot creation ability is, you know, what puts him here, but he is so awful on the defensive end, and he just takes every shot that he sees and has crazy levels of tunnel vision. So, you know, if he gets in the right situation, I definitely see a world where he could win a Sixth Man of the Year award, but... uh, I, like, I couldn't drop him out of the first round. I couldn't make myself do it, but... I also couldn't have him any higher than 30 because, again, he is just everything about prospects that is something that drives me completely up the wall. That, that's hilarious. I, I I have him at 30 right now, too, and pretty <laughs> pre, 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 pretty much for the exact same reason because I'm, he's Oak Hill's all-time leading scorer. He's a freshman who averaged over 20 points a game in the SEC. I he, the, the dude can flat-out score, and... I just, I can't get myself to move someone with that absurd scoring ability out of the first round, but he does absolutely nothing else. Um, and like, he, he doesn't pass at all ever. And we, we talked about Sharif Cooper being a bad defender. At least Cooper tries some defensively. Cam Thomas puts zero effort into defense. So I, I just, I don't know what you do with him because he, he, I'm assuming he'll be an awesome scorer in the NBA because that's what he's always been, but his complete just lack of interest in any other aspect of the game. I'm not sure how many minutes he'll actually get. Yeah. I mean, with six man types like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams, at least they did some creation for their teammates. At least they passed sometimes like, uh... (laughs) yeah. And I, I, Jamal Crawford was a, he was a good passer and Lou Williams, you know, moved off ball and that he had an awesome pick and roll game with Montrezl Harrell. Everything Cam does is isolation. It's operating out of the elbow, looking to beat guys off the dribble. It's all just him and the ball. And it's, it's really brutal to watch, but really entertaining um, from a neutral standpoint. All right, so before we wrap things up here, let's just talk quickly about, you know, some guys who you think might be missing from my top 30. And 
as a follow-on to the Cam Thomas discussion, I think the first one that will come up might be a player that we disagree on even more, I think, than Ayodesunmu. I have Josh Christopher at 40 right now, and I don't see myself going that much higher on him. He is, in my mind, everything that drives me insane about Cam Thomas with a little bit less that I could see in terms of future shot creation potential. And yeah, I just can't buy Josh Christopher as a first round pick, you know, even though you, I know have him a little bit higher than that and higher than Cam. I, I can't, I can't get into it. I can't get, I can't buy Josh Christopher. I just can't. I mean, I've been slandering him like basically since the start of this podcast and, you know, I'm, <laughs> I think even 40 is kind of generous given the amount of slander that I have thrown his way specifically. So if you're a member of Josh Christopher's family and you listen to this podcast, I'm very sorry, but I, I can't get there. I'm sorry. I, I, I currently have him at 21. Um, I, I get the concerns. I think Arizona State had kind of a similar season to Stanford where everything went wrong. Uh, Christopher had some injuries that he dealt with uh, him and Bagley. I think barely played together at all. Um, I, I, I like his scoring upside and he's kind of that same type of offensive player as Cam Thomas. I think Christopher does more off ball movement than Cam does. Um, but I, I, I buy into Christopher's defensive upside uh, with, with his size athleticism I, 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 and the flashes that he showed. I, believe that he'll end up being a positive defender where I I see Cam Thomas as just a pure negative for his entire career. Yeah, I will say this for Christopher. He does at least try sometimes on defense and sometimes would be such a blessing for Cam Thomas's defensive effort. Just like once would be encouraging. Literally. Well, you know, I'm sure that he's going to see at some point that, hey, if you can get a steal on the fast break, you know, those are points right there. You know, if you can. Yeah, it's just another way to get points. There you go. Scoring total. <laughs> just sell Cam Thomas on being a ball hawk so he can get out and transition. <laughs> hey, what, whatever gets you there. All right. So anything you want to plug here before we wrap things up? Yeah. So Evan Mobley piece came out, I think, what? since last week or since the last time we talked uh over on hashtag basketball go check that out uh now that i have a working computer again um i just finished jalen green uh scouting report so that should be out hopefully this week um and kaminga will follow that shortly um and then i'll have some words over some timberwolf words over at canis hoopus um at some point this next week too all right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can check out his work on hashtag basketball and on Candace Hoopas, as he said. And you can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find me on Twitter as well at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And of course, we will be back with draft deep dives at our regularly scheduled time on Tuesday of next week, where we will go back into prospect deep dives. So certainly be on the lookout for that. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.